Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reel. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. All right, folks. Uh, welcome back to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm Bill Real. I'm here with Janice Spangler as my co-host. Brittany is taking the summer off. We just did try to start the show over on StreamYard, but for some reason, StreamYard's got some sort of technical issue. So uh, here we are on Zoom. We're recording this on July 18th, 2023. Uh, I briefly mentioned that Corey and I had done an episode about a month ago uh, talking about internal family systems, IFS. Uh, I have started IFS therapy myself, just did fourth, the fourth session yesterday uh, with a therapist here in Southern Utah. Uh, I want to give a moment here. We brought Corey Reese and uh, Katrina uh, Paya. Pia. Pia. Okay, I'm going to get that right before we get done here. Katrina, Pia. And uh, I'll give you guys both a chance. Corey, if you'll just, I know we did this just two minutes ago before we ended the stream, but if you'll just uh, introduce yourself again, uh, briefly mention your private practice here in Southern Utah, I'll give Katrina a chance to talk and we'll jump into this topic and um, talk about some IFS. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for having me back, Bill. Um, I'm a therapist in Southern Utah. I've been a licensed clinical social worker for around 20-ish years. And um, I left the LDS church about five-ish years ago. And so um, since that time, I've kind of shifted to um, have my private practice focus on helping people navigate faith transitions. Yeah, I think you're doing a great job. Katrina. Okay, so yeah, thanks also for having me. Quite the honor to be here. Um, my name is Katrina Apia. I'm also a licensed clinical social worker. I've been licensed for about 30 years. And I'm currently in, I'm in private practice um, in, um, just in a, an office space just outside of North Salt Lake, in North Salt Lake, Utah. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, I specialize in PROMAS using specifically internal family systems. I do a lot of EMDR work as well. And um, one of my main areas of expertise is faith transition. So given where I live, kind of in the mecca of mormonism i see a lot of people who are who are in a faith expansion faith transition phase in their lives yeah and uh, we wanted to do just a, a brief overview i had mentioned that Corey and i had talked about this topic about a month ago and mm -hmm. we had done a our friends and the two of us are in a book club and we did no bad parts uh, by richard schwartz and talked about you know his book and internal family systems and the book for me was a little difficult to make sense of, but when my friends explained some of the connections they were making and some of the help it had been, and, and when Corey was sharing some of the insights from the therapy side of how it was uh, having some impact, um, I thought, man, this is really incredible. Uh, my wife personally had a really cool experience with IFS where she sat with one of her parts and is stroking her the, the hair of that part and really meeting uh, that exile kind of where it was and, and, talking through some trauma that had happened. Um, even in the last week, having conversations with my wife, there are moments where we're not hearing each other. And one of us has asked the other if maybe the protector part could stand off to the side for a moment and let us talk 
just to each other, that grounded self. And that went really mm -hmm. well. Um, and, and so having these really cool conversations, this modality of therapy seems like something that I think the almost awakened audience would deeply benefit from. And so with that said, uh, I'll just check in with, with Jana, with uh, Katrina, any thoughts you guys have in terms of what you'd want to give as a basic overview, and then we'll take maybe a little bit of a deep dive into this topic. Yeah, sounds good. Um, do you want me to start, Jana? Okay, so one thing we talked about was maybe kind of introducing um, Dick Schwartz a little bit, just so that the audience has an idea of who he is and how long IFS has been around and, and his background and maybe the early stages of the model, um, early um, his early experience with it. So Dick Schwartz it, it has, uh, Dr. Richard Schwartz has a PhD in marriage and family therapy. And in the early 80s, he was working in a, an eating disorder clinic um, with people who were str struggling with severe um, eating disorder, anorexia, bulimia specifically. And, and the, the notion at the time was that just change the family dynamic, that an eating disorder is the direct result of toxic family dynamics um, um, and do what's necessary to ensure that there's healthy communication and healthy realignment of the family structure. And once that's solved, once that external problem is solved, well, then the eating disordered behavior will just resolve itself. And that wasn't the case. And he, he talks about working exhaustively with clients who would just come back week after week after week, still exhibiting the same behavior, no progress. And he talks about a, a moment when there was a breakthrough in his work with a particular client who not only um, struggled with um, some eating disorder, I'm not sure if it was anorexia or bulimia, but also they, they were a self-mutilator. And he, he went, had a really long session with this client. I think he said it went on for about two and a half hours and um, got this commitment from this client that they would not go home and self-harm, that they would, that this week they would not self-harm. They would go home and not self-harm. And so he felt like that, that client walked out the door and he felt like he'd won that battle, if you would. The client came back the following week with a giant gash down the side of their face. He opened the office door and there they were. And he said, he said he literally put his hands up in the air and said, okay, you win. And they sat down and they started processing the week. And the client said, I don't want to win. I just want to get better. And so Dick said that he went from kind of this um, position of maybe superiority, the therapist with all the answers and the wisdom who's going to fix this problem and he instead approached this client with just a really open-hearted kind of curious place and just wanted to really understand what was happening. And he just got really curious about the behavior, the self-mutilating behavior and started asking questions, some of which were questions you guys reviewed in the last IFS um, podcast that you did um, around, what are you trying to do for me? How are you trying to be helpful? What's your intentions? Um, um, where did you come from? Those kind of questions. And from there, he developed the model and he discovered that we all have these different parts of ourselves and parts essentially make up different aspects of the personality. But then he also discovered in working with clients that there would arise in them eventually um, kind of just this place of calm 
and compassionate, kind of a curious, kind of open-hearted space. And when he would ask the client what part that was, they would say, that's not a part, that's just me. And so that's how he kind of, if you would stumbled into this discovery of NIFS, what we call self-energy, and we can talk you know, a little more in, in depth about that, but that's that's the model and the early years of the model and I believe I may have said early eighties is when, when that, that um, encounter with the client in the eating disorder clinic occurred. So, yeah, so I, that's a little background of, of Dick and the, the birth of IFS. Cool stuff. Anything yeah. When I, yeah. When, um, so I read a different book. It was greater than the sum of our parts. Um, and I, I, it, it, there was a little bit of an introduction into some of this, and I was really struck when it he talked about when he was going through this and discovering these parts and discovering this self energy. Um, I was struck by a couple things. One, and I think this is something that we who are laymen's can maybe connect to, is that he he uh, described it a little bit like uh, DID, so uh, or multiple personality disorder that. But what we see going on in those kinds of people is going on inside all of us. <laughs> and for me, that made a connection of like, oh, I can see, get a visual of what that means to be having these different parts that um, I just have a personality structure that holds all of that together, but that that is really going on in there in my subconscious was a really helpful visual for me. And the second thing that struck me as I was introduced to this was just how this self-energy reflected so much of what I had been studying in all of the wisdom traditions of the world. Like when I think of self-energy, I hear Buddha nature or I hear true self, or I hear, you know, these, these kinds of echoes. And this is the stuff that makes me really excited. I love it when I hear wisdom tradition and perennial tradition come together with like secular psychology and other things. And I just feel like this is something really important. Um, and I, I don't know that I ever believe that one model is the model or the way or the truth, but it's a really, I love models because they're so helpful to so many. Um, so anyway, those were kind of some of the ideas that I connected to just as a layman coming into understanding IFS that, that um, helped me kind of figure out what is it we're talking about. Yeah. For Corey and Katrina, I mean, how did you come to be aware of this as a modality? Uh, Jana kind of talked about how she came to be aware of it. How, how did that come into your kind of purview? For me, I, I had heard, I mean, IFS that I've heard lots of therapists talk about it and just felt like I was behind the game. I've talked to other therapists, like, and I'm like, am I missing something? Did I, did I miss them talking about this in graduate school? And they're like, no, you didn't. Like it, they weren't talking about this. And so I, I feel like I kind of came in late to the party. And so when I first listened to the book, no bad parts, it just was like, I, this makes so much sense. And now when I talk to my clients about it, just when I introduce them to it, so many of them are like, I, you, you have just described what's going on in my brain all the time. And I just didn't know how to, put words to it but yeah that makes so much sense yeah that's great well you know 
I think I'm late to the party as well, Corey. Um, um, I, I was mainly um, practicing EMDR as a modality and then COVID hit. And how do you, how do, you do bilateral stimulation, which is the main um, 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 method of integration or tool of, of integration in IFS, it's, excuse me, in, in EMDR, that's how you process through traumatic events is by achieving this bilateral stimulation. And a lot of times it's like tapping your hands or I'd, I'd lean forward and I'd tap a client's leg or, or, you know, various ways of achieving bilateral stimulation. One is like following um, a pen or a pencil or lights across a, a board. And that was really hard to do virtually. And, and I felt so removed from clients. And so really early in the pandemic, I was involved in a therapist discussion group. And one of the other therapists had just been to an IFS training and, and was introducing the basics of the model. And it was similar enough to other methods of therapy that I was trained in already, um, including some aspects of EMDR, that I just printed off the basics of that model, laminated them, put them right next to my computer screen because I was seeing all my clients virtually. And on Monday morning, I was an IFS therapist because I needed something that, <laughs> that would work virtually. And, and um, it, it's just brought, brought remarkable things to my practice, pieces of therapy that I felt were missing. And um, so that's how I stumbled into it. Love it. So I would, uh, I would, can I ask a question? I would love to know what for you, Katrina was missing. Like what does IFS fill in that some of the other modalities don't hit? That is such an astute question for you to pick up on that. The, the main piece. So in IFS, we have, we have three basic parts. We have the self, we have protector parts and we have exile parts, exile parts, which I like to refer to when I'm talking to clients as wounded parts. They're the parts that carry our woundedness. And then we have healthy parts in our system. So over, so with these two, with the protectors and the, the exile wounded parts, we're talking about what we call the burdened aspect of the system. And we want our system to be largely unburdened. So it's healthy. Um, in other methods of therapy, let me get my fingers up in the screen. <laughs> in other methods of therapy, you're, you're going for what I have come to term the juggler. Like you're ju you're going for the big traumatic event, big, the big memory, the big um, uh, acute traumatic um, trauma. And we're doing our magic, our, our um, um, bring in the adult self and love the child and show the child that they're not in the past any longer or do bilateral stimulation and, and clear that trauma and then again and again and again, clients would come back and they would have experienced backlash, which is what Dick Schwartz experienced with the client who promised, okay, I'll go home and I won't self-harm. Backlash is a big old, the, the behavior, we not only returned to the behavior, but the behavior got worse. And so what IFS brings to the model is that protective, those protectors, um, otherwise known as defense mechanisms, right? And we work, we do not go in IFS, we do not go to an exile. We do not go to the, the deep place of woundedness until we have permission from the protective system. They have been at their job for years, sometimes decades. 
And if we swoop in as the therapist with this, you know, with our, our, our wisdom and all of our training and our professionalism, and we swoop in and bypass those protectors without honoring them, without understanding them, without acknowledging them, without being respectful of them, and without getting their permission, the backlash effect is huge. And so, yeah, so that to me is the main thing that IFS brings to the table, that that and self-energy. The notion of, and, and uh, maybe this is a time to dive into talking about self-energy, but the notion of what self-energy is, and, and Jen, I love that you've already spoken to that, that there are, in, in the wisdom traditions, like Buddha nature, Christ consciousness, those are just other names for what Dick Schwartz has come to term self-energy. Um, maybe in spirit, in Christian traditions, we might call the self, the soul, the spirit, um, but those two concepts are the main things that IFS brings to the table, working with the protective system, getting permission from the protectors to go to the wounded parts and self-energy as the healing entity. So another quick thing I love about IFS that I think, um, other modalities miss is we're just so used to thinking about things like depression or anxiety or grief or whatever as bad things that we don't want to feel and we try to avoid and or fix or whatever and internal family systems takes just such a completely different approach and instead of trying to push those things away or fix them or get rid of them the idea is let's befriend them let's let's get to know them let's 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 work with them instead of against them. And it, it just is such a revolutionary way of looking at things and it, it completely changes the outcome. Yeah. Can, can I say one thing, Corey, I'm so glad you said that because you said what I just said in much more accessible terms for, for our audience, essentially for most members of our audience, because what you're talking about, depression, anxiety, even addiction, an eating disorder, anger, all of those things, those are what we call protectors. And, and when we um, work with them in this way where we work to understand them instead of trying to eliminate them and, and kind of shame them, essentially, um, when we work with them in, in the ways that you're describing, we get so much further in the work. So thank you. You said that. I think you said that in a really... Um, just way that that made a lot of sense. I just I want to note here we gave a bunch of names for the self energy. One that I heard used yesterday is the witness, which relates me to Buddhism, the observer, right? And and again, I'm you guys have done this way more than me, but sitting as the client in these sessions, when I've been able to get into that place where I am talking to those parts, there is. I got kind of emotional as you guys were explaining. Um, there's the grounded, healthy human being who is sitting back and is getting input from all of those voices. And when I connected to some of those parts, they had memories that the witness didn't have. They had attachment to things that the witness didn't have. And when I got into the headspace of 
really letting those parts identify themselves, why they're protecting who the exile is and why they did what they did to protect them. It made so many connections that I wasn't consciously aware of. And mm -hmm. by the time the session was over, I realized that I was the wise mediator in a room full of people. And every one of them had their own motivations and reasons for doing things the way they did. Some of them were carrying traumas that I considered my trauma, but the protector, the, the exile got hurt and went off and the protector comes in all the time to keep that exile from being wounded again. And, and they have uh, a recollection that I don't have, but when I connected with them, it was crystal clear. And, and so I only want folks to recognize that uh, if you can relate this, maybe at least on the front end, a little bit to Buddhism, where Buddhism tells you to just mm -hmm. be present with the world as it's <laughs> unfolding in front of you and, and to recognize that all of the other stuff is just stuff and the really grounded witness observer isn't that stuff. And this, this modality really, to me, takes Buddhism a whole nother way where you're really doing work to get your parts to communicate with each other and you to communicate with them so that everybody still has their input. The parts of you you consider unhealthy are still getting to have their input. And maybe all they wanted all along was to be heard rather than to manipulate a situation anyway. Yeah, and to, to bring this back to a conversation we had last week, Bill, it's that causal state of consciousness for anybody who was listening to the Ken Wilbur that he that's that's what he calls that causal state is the witness. So we're it all ties in. Yeah. You know, maybe this is a good place to talk about um a conversation I heard once between Dick and the Dalai Lama. And so Dick was up on stage with the Dalai Lama and there was a translator and then the audience was full of Tibetan monks and, and, and Dick recognized this, um, this overlap between Buddhism and internal family systems. But he also recognized that there was something that could be brought to the table. And, and he was, I, I've heard him describe how he had to set that conversation up very carefully to to is not offend um i think is i think they call the dalai lama his excellency to not offend his excellency um and um and and yet he he felt like there was much that he that he had to offer and and this is the the primary difference between buddhism and other um other spiritual traditions and internal family systems in buddhism think of transcendental meditation you're trying to transcend the personality you're trying to as you're as you're sitting and you're you're just sitting in the emptiness you're sitting in the 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 peace in the interior of your mind when thoughts come in you excuse them or you let them float by like clouds in the sky when thoughts when sensations when memories come up when images come into your mind you're excusing them you're eliminating them because you're transcending the mortal world and trying to go to a place of, of enlightenment, right? Like a higher place. Well, in IFS, what we do is we access that state of higher consciousness and we bring it to these parts. We're not excusing them. We're welcoming them in and we're saying, come and little, little five-year-old, come and let me love you. Let me, let me from this, from this observing self or this wise self, 
let me just share compassion and love and let me be there like with your wife, um, Bill, sitting with her younger self and stroking her hair and and parenting her, reparenting her in the ways that she needed when she was originally five years old, right? Or whatever the age was. That's what that's what IFS brings to the table that perhaps other um other um, beautiful traditions don't quite offer. And that's bringing the 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 the, the spirituality into the the mortal realm and offering it within the self so that we can make friends with what maybe were previously our internal enemies, if you would. And then, and then bringing healing internally. And then when we have all that love and compassion internally, Oh, we have so much more to offer the world. So. Mm. Something I love about that. I'm so glad you mentioned that story, Katrina, because one of the things as a woman doing this spiritual work (laughs) that I tend to notice is that all the male gurus, want to want to transcend the ego they just want to like you said leave it behind and you know and there are so many people who are women or who are on the margins who have not had the chance to really build a healthy sense of self and ego and i feel like ifls is kind of a kind of a bridge that that can help that so that we're not just forgiving the ego we're actually learning to presence and notice what is going on and 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 heal and and not let the ego and those defense mechanisms run the show, but to do it respectfully, right? To do it with that honor for those those defense mechanisms and not just make them the enemy. So yeah. I love that. It's beautiful. Well, which kind of speaks to the name of the model, internal family systems. Well, in a family, in a healthy family system, you have parents who are the leaders of the system And then in many families, there are children. So this is like taking a nuclear family model and, um, and you have parents in the system and then you have children in the family system. And in a healthy family system, the parents are the leaders of the system. The children are not leading the system in a healthy family. Well, it's the same in internal family systems. The self, the, the me that's not a part is the leader of the system and those parts are the children. And sometimes they don't get along and sometimes they throw temper tantrums and sometimes they're needy and sometimes they're naughty and sometimes, but if, but, but, uh, but a, a, a parent, an effective parent who's operating from a place of love and compassion goes to those children and, and attunes to them and attunes to their needs and attunes in a really developmentally appropriate way to, um, um to to what's happening within them and attends to those needs and then the child settles right and so that that's what we're doing in the inner world with the self serving as the leader of the system so let's um maybe take us into some of this other groundwork that we need to lay down kind of um getting in touch with one's energy self self energy sorry versus ifs key to self-love, maybe kind of go through the list of things that you had mentioned and let's begin to kind of um, set up sort of the basics of this modality so that we can then kind of talk about what, how this works and what's actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can dive in. Do you want to, do you have anything you want to add, Corey? You want me to, to go with, okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, 
Yeah. So, so the notion is think of, think of self energy, like the sun in the sky. It's always there. It's, it's always present. It's um, it cannot be eliminated. It cannot be diminished and think of hearts when they're burdened, not when they're healthy, but when they're burdened in a burden, in a very burdened system, the, the parts become like clouds in the sky and they block access to the energy of the sun. And, um, and so what we're trying to do in internal family systems is help move the parts back so that we can access the energy of the sun again and bring that warmth and that energy to, to our full personhood, if you would. And it really is, it's a model of subtraction. And I hope this makes sense. We're not learning. Um, let me say this, maybe the notion of self-love and self-compassion, those are big buzzwords, right? Especially self-compassion. We need to have self-compassion and engage in self-care. And when we engage in self-care, we'll have more self-compassion. But, but the notion of actual embodied self-compassion is pretty nebulous. Like, how do we achieve that? And in IFS, when we, when we talk about a model of subtraction, what we mean is, is when, when we're trying to bring love to, let's say, a little three-year-old that, that got, I don't know, gets yelled at and sent to her room again and again and again and, and scolded for being, being, being too loud and too noisy and too boisterous and not sitting still, and she's sent to her room again, and, and when when we're working in the interior world, we're trying to access that self-love and bring it to that three-year-old. But a lot of time other parts get in the way. The parts that like maybe the inner critic that might shame the little girl or or um, or maybe a people-pleasing part developed that is really afraid of 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 her being her authentic self. And so she's going to become a people pleaser and, and be really perfect um, or, or a perfectionistic part that's going to be perfect and, and try and earn the love that the child didn't receive unconditionally. And so when we start working, these other parts will pop in. And, and when I say it's a model of subtraction, what we're trying to do is we're trying to ask these protector parts, if they'll step back, move back, so that we can access the sun's energy, the self energy, and bring it to whatever little wounded exile we're working with. So it it literally it's um I don't know if in your work or not, Bill, if you've experienced that asking parts to step back when when maybe perhaps your therapist has identified a target part, but that it it's that it sounds maybe a little crazy to say, hey, people pleaser will you step back so that I can be with that little three-year-old and give her the love and the care that she's always needed? It, it might sound a little hooey booey, um, but it's okay. Good, good, good. All right. Just reading this, the sign that popped up there. Um, but it works. It's crazy how real it is when you ask a protector part um, to step back, how it often, not always, but often will work. And you can take that love to that little child within. Yeah. I love the idea of asking permission. Like all of these parts are given respect and uh, no one's trying to sabotage. Like they, they, again, independent from you, they need to sense that they're not 
being sabotaged because mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. they have mm-hmm. spent a lifetime yeah helping fragile parts of you not get hurt yeah and they've done their job pretty dang good and some of it shows up unhealthy right because we sense that we're hurting others or hurting ourselves but allowing them to have a say in how all of this goes, I, I think is such maybe the most brilliant part of this entire thing is to ask permission. And yes, in the sessions, the therapist I'm working with was constantly asking permission on the front end and giving, asking me and him also giving gratitude to the parts on the back end. And mm-hmm. in other words, I think the parts get to start feeling like we're all on the same team here. And really our goal is to help these exiles, which are the parts of us that you said are wounded, to um, process and heal in, in such a way that those protectors now are no longer needed in the same way to come in and be those defense mechanisms. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um any other i guess any other thoughts on this section because i don't i don't i don't know where each of these oh, sections sure, kind of starts sure. and ends uh, okay. but the key to self love different systems communicating different ways yeah so maybe we could talk about that different different systems communicating in different ways that's really important to um to understand that some systems when when you're working with a part like from from as a therapist from my end what i can offer is is verbal communication, right? So I can coach a client to ask a younger part some of those questions that that Corey brought up in in the last episode. Um, how are you trying to be helpful to me? What are you doing for me? Where did you come from? Um, I forget the exact questions you had listed there, but they were great questions. Um, and and that's what I have to offer on my end, right? But the system of the client that system um, might communicate in different ways. So what I mean by that is when I ask a question and say, well, what are you trying to do for me? That the, let's say the people pleaser that we're talking to right now might respond back and say, well, I'm just trying to, you know, make sure that people love you. Okay. So the people pleaser might respond back in words. That's one way that a system communicates, but the people pleaser might respond back with memories Here's a memory of when I was, um, when when I really, you know, made my parents really happy. And for the first time in my life, I felt a lot of love from them. So I learned, uh-huh, the way to be loved is to do exactly what they want, to never rock the boat, to never displease them, to never, never upset them. And so to maybe um, disown who I really am, being true to who I really am and offer them what they want like disavow my authentic self and, and show up in the ways that they want. So that's one way a, a system might communicate with just memories, visual images, um, and a, a systems communicate um, with images. It sounds like perhaps Bill, your wife, it sounds like she's pretty visual and she's seen this younger part and she's imagined herself stroking the hair of that younger part. Well, it's another way is visceral experiences. We can, we might just have visceral sensations from a part that might be how it communicates other parts um communicate in emotions sometimes we might just have a sense of knowing like suddenly we know things um i i'll I'll share a quick story for me from 
just this morning, I already shared this with the rest of the, with the group here, but um, um, full disclosure, this is like my first time on a podcast. And so a little anxiety operating. So last night I'm reviewing my talking points and I go to bed with this anxiety rumbling and I don't wake up early. <laughs> I'm not much of a morning person, but 5.30 this morning, <clears throat> I was wide awake and that anxiety was still rumbling. And so I took the time to come downstairs and really tune into it. And what was happening was as I, I, I closed my eyes, I got in touch with it. I felt this anxiety in my stomach up into my chest. And I just started asking, what, what are you trying to tell me? And it said, I don't want you to screw up. And it meant today, it meant on this podcast, it meant like this discussion. I don't want you to screw up. And I said, oh, okay, well, well, thanks. I can like, I can appreciate that. Um, you don't want to screw up. I don't want to screw up either. So help me to understand you a little more. Help me to know more about you. So as I was asking these questions and getting to know this part that was really anxious and really afraid I was going to screw up today, I said, well, where did you come from? When did you come into my system like this? Don't screw up. Don't screw up. I'm going to send a lot of anxiety your way um, to, to remind you not to screw up. And I, I had all these memories kind of flash through. And I said, well, which of those is the most important for me to understand? And I went to kindergarten. I had this teacher named Mrs. Rigtrup. Mrs. Rigtrup was on maternity leave in kindergarten. This is the memory that was in my brain. Mrs. Frodjum was the substitute teacher while Mrs. Richard was on maternity leave. And for whatever reason, Mrs. Frodjum did not seem to like me. One example, I was never the wake-up fairy. Like, that's how old I am. Kindergarten naps and snaps. That's what kindergarten was. And recess, right? And then maybe you did circle time and learned about the weather. And so the wake-up fairy, the kindergartners took a nap. And then the, the, the person who was the quietest got to be the wake-up fairy. And she got the magic wand and she got to go around and tap everybody else on the head and let them know it was time to wake up. I was never the wake-up fairy. The whole time Mrs. Frodjum was the teacher. Well, that wasn't the memory. The memory that came was little kindergarten Katrina is in front of the classroom with her goldfish bowl. And she's holding her goldfish bowl. She brought her goldfish for show and tell. And she's showing her goldfish to the class. And Mrs. Frodjum takes the opportunity to point out, see all those little, little brown things at the bottom of the goldfish bowl? That's fish poop. That shouldn't be there. And see the goldfish bowl? See how it's, it's not clear? You can't see through it very well? That's moss. And that shouldn't be there either. This is a goldfish bowl that needs to be cleaned. And so... For whatever reason, this adult, whatever parts in her were operating, that adult didn't show up with love and compassion and support. She wasn't operating from a place of beautiful self-energy. She took the opportunity to shame this little five-year-old kindergartner and embarrass her in front of the whole class and point out that her goldfish bowl was dirty. And so kindergarten Katrina learned, I am never going to be, I'm never going to stand up in public again and screw up and embarrass myself like that ever again. So, so every time I go, and, and this, this was a knowing that came to me this morning. Um, every time I, I give any kind of a public teach a class, teach a lesson, give, give a talk back in the Mormon days, bear my testimony. Whoa, all this anxiety arises within me. And this morning I connected it to, I suddenly knew, I suddenly understood that connected to kindergarten Katrina 
and the goldfish at show and tell, you know? So what I did for her this morning was I had her turn to me and see me. And I showed her not my adult self, which might've been helpful. And which for some people is a helpful thing to show them the adult self and my adult life. And this is how I live and I've got you and I can take care of you. But even more important than that, I showed her my self energy. I let her just turn to me and take in my, my love, my light. And I just sent that to her and I told her, you know what, today when I hop on this podcast, I'll do the talking. You don't have to. And even if I even if I screw up, if I screw up, that screw up's going to be on me. It's not going to be on you. And even if I screw up, you're going to be okay. I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to be here for you. I'm still going to love me. You know, it's, it's going to be okay. Like, and, and I had that conversation with her and she settled. Oh my gosh, she settled. And I think there's a little more work to do there because that was like a little 20 minute thing this morning. But that was a suddenly knowing event of me working with my parts. I, I, I love that. I want to jump I'm, in. I, oh, go ahead, Jenna. Can I just mention something here? Like I am just recognizing Katrina as you're saying this, I'm connecting actually with the kindergarten teacher and <laughs> noticing how much my parts show up to want to parent my children. Like my my parts that are protectors. It's not even just about what's going on inside me. They show up to try to parent my children so that they they also aren't hurt the way that little Jana was yes. hurt. And man, I wish I would have had some of that awareness when my kids were little. You know, I'm I'm having more awareness about my parenting these days. They're teenagers. It's a totally different ball game. But um, but what a helpful awareness as we do our own work to even not just with our inner work, but how we're interfacing, right? With our relationships and our our mm -hmm. children and other places yeah. in our lives. And and can I say that that might be like you operating um, as a parent from parts of yourself might be exactly what your children need, but it might not be exactly what they need. And, and I've done it too. I mean, I did some work with my IFS consultant, who's basically my IFS therapist, not so long ago around some aspect of my relationship with one of my daughters. And it was about a teenager in me who wanted to be the cool cheerleader, but never was, you know, wanted, wanted to be a part of the in crowd. And that, that teenager in me, so jealous of, of, of this amazing daughter of mine, who's like everything I wanted to be, but I was operating from that place as a parent, instead of, operating from a place where I was there for my child. That's my job as a parent to be there for my child. And when we operate from self-energy, we're able to show up and offer our children what they need, not what we need. Right. That's exactly so. it. Right. It's noticing that being more in the response of parenting rather than um, that place of fear that that's what my protectors are bringing. And I, I can see that now and I can see how much I've done that over the years with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know in the book, and Corey helped me a bunch to just sort of set some of these labels aside, but in the book, Dick Schwartz gives us these labels of, you know, the exile, which when I think of that, I think of the most innocent version of ourself when we were young, right? Like this perfect, innocent mm -hmm. little human who thinks 
um, who doesn't even know how the world works and doesn't even know what's right or wrong or good or bad or healthy or unhealthy, just trying to get up in the morning and be a human being and have a great day. And then the world, because it's not perfect, it shows up in ways that bump into that and sometimes really hard. And that innocent version of us then has to go into exile when something very abrasive happens. And, and our brain comes up with ways to protect that innocent, fragile part of us by sending out what Dick calls protectors. And he, and he puts them into two categories. He calls them managers and firemen, fire people, fire persons, fire firefighters, uh, firefighters. Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, the managers, and I get it, the managers are there just to keep things moving. Like they're they're there to just look, we got things to do, we gotta, we can't, we can't deal with that right now. And in therapy, I notice the managers come up because I'll start to get into that space to have this conversation with my parts. And suddenly it's like something just pulls me back away from that and goes, No, we're not gonna get that deep today. We're not gonna talk about that. That's gonna, that's gonna be a lot of work. And so the manager gets in and stops that, right? And then the firefighters are mechanisms that um, when I start to feel anxiety, I panic and here's the thing I do that either hurts somebody or hurts me or deflects in a conversation or dismisses another person. Um, and those labels aren't crucial, but I do think it's important to sense that when we say exile, we're talking about that innocent part of us that was naive to the world until something abrasive occurred. Um, Cause I think that's an important point to make. And then as Corey told me, like in this book club, he told the whole group, he said like, don't get caught up in these labels, just start noticing things, getting curious and start asking just good, open, respectful questions about why those parts are doing what they do. And the rest sort of will fall into place. And, and there's some truth to that. Cause I did get kind of lost in the book. Yeah, yeah. Even even just saying something like recognizing your parts, that that alone can kind of throw people. So I just think of it like, okay, let's make this really simple to start with. Like, okay, there's a party coming up on Friday night, and part of me is super excited to go hang out with friends. Like, that sounds awesome. And part of me is like, I am so tired. I just want to go to sleep. Okay, perfect. So two completely different points of view can coexist. I have different parts of me that, that see things differently and, and they can coexist. There's truth to both of them. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and this work is giving those parts a chance to be seen by each other, to be seen by you. And so that you as the witness gets to go, look, I totally value your opinion. I totally value your opinion in this situation. Here's what we're going to do. And in, in a different situation, we might do something different. And I care about both of you and I understand your motivations and your reasons, but let's, this is the wise decision for us to make. And, and if, you know, is that okay with you and the gratitude right. and all the other stuff that comes with it, yeah. but it, it really is a, a new way to talk to yourself. And I told, I told Bill this, I, I'm sure you guys, I'm guessing you'll agree too. Like once you see it, you cannot unsee it so you will just be in random conversations throughout the yeah. day and you'll hear see people say like i don't know part of me is just not sure this is this is the best approach i'm thinking you're, you're speaking the language and you don't even know it mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I, so before I, and I have done IFS therapy, um, I did it for maybe close to a year, but even before entering into IFS, I, um, are any of you aware of voice dialogue? Is that something you're familiar with? That's kind of a young thing and, and it's similar. It's actually kind of similar. Um, it's not as complex or formed as IFS, but it is a practice where you ask to speak to now in this language apart. So can I speak to anxiety? Who am I speaking to? Am I, am, you know, may I speak to the voice of anxiety? Who am I speaking to? And the person says, I'm, I am the voice of anxiety. And you can ask them questions. And that, that was a practice that I had um, learned about and had played around with in my own coaching work. Um, but the thing that really struck me when I did that work was how well-meaning those voices always were. And it, with no prompting, those voices, when you really get down to what they want for you, were always well-meaning. And, and that that's striking. And I, I'm, I'm sure that there are ways that other protectors come in and make it less well, well-meaning. But if we really get down to those voices, you can start to feel just within yourself how much everything going on in us, no matter how maladapted, really is working for our good. And that that was a shift for me because I was just, I, I mean, I was a perfectionist. I was just trying to have no, that was one of my big protectors, right? Is my perfectionism so that I don't have to look wrong or bad to anybody ever. <laughs> so um, just even making friends with that, making friends with an inner critic that for me, I really thought was out to get me to find out that it was really there to serve me really changed a lot for me. Um, and I entered into that with the voice dialogue, but it really just continued with the IFS therapy I did. And and I think what, what you're really describing there, Jenna, is that, that self-energy, like uh, there, there are all these qualities that describe the self and compassion is one of those. And um, it's not, it's not like a light switch, I either have self energy, or I don't have self energy, it's not on or off. It's, it's, it's more like a dimmer switch that we're trying to increase, we're trying to dial up the amount of self energy, and that waxes and wanes, like throughout the course of the day. And when, when a certain aspect of our personality comes forward, that maybe we don't appreciate, oh, self energy goes down. And when we don't appreciate a certain aspect of our personality, Essentially, we haven't done the work that you've done, Jana, with your anxiety and your perfectionism. We haven't gotten to know it. We haven't developed a relationship with it. We don't understand it. And therefore, we don't understand yet that it's really well-intentioned. Whatever the part is, no matter how maladaptive it may appear on the surface, and I do not care if, you, if you're a serial murderer, and I am talking to the part in you or helping you get to know the part in you that thought it was a real good idea to go and kill those nine people, right? We, we say in IFS, all parts are welcome, but not all behaviors are welcome. So I'm not condoning murder, I'm not saying that, I'm gonna make that super clear, but that part in you and its intention for you and the pain that it's likely trying to manage within you 
that's welcome. And we want to understand that. We want to know that we want to be in relationship with that. So that one of the goals of IFS is so that our, our parts are less extreme. We're more internally balanced. There's more internal harmony. Right. And, and so I think you're just really describing in a really practical way, how we develop a relationship with various aspects of ourself. In this case, you're a perfectionist. Let's jump into um, a couple of the things you've got kind of in this groundwork section is the goals of IFS. I think we've talked about, you know, how we're feeling towards the part. We talked about gratitude and yeah. not seeing the part as bad, um, but maybe the goals of IFS. And you've got a note in here about spiritual abuse and attachment. Let's cover those mm -hmm. three yeah. uh, things. So, so let's start with attachment. Um, in, in a lot of other models of therapy um the notion is that the therapist needs to when when attachment needs aren't met when needs are not met from earlier in life and we have a, a, a person in front of us i'm in the therapist chair and a client in front of me has some kind of an insecure attachment style my job in other models of therapy my job is to become the attachment figure temporarily while this client, um, well, we do the work together of helping this client heal their attachment wounds. So they feel my unconditional love. They feel my unconditional positive regard. They feel my unconditional acceptance. That's the goal in a lot of models of therapy. In a lot of models of couples therapy, it's similar, only the attachment figure is the partner. And when we're partnered, then that person becomes our primary attachment figure. And they, through that relationship, heal the woundedness within me. Well, in IFS, we believe in attachment relationships. We believe in relationships, okay? I'm not about to advocate for, for being, you know, solo in life or being, you know, living our life in isolation. But in IFS, the primary attachment is to the self. The self-energy is the primary source of attachment for, for every person on the planet. So basically, Dick says, when he speaks of self-energy, one of the ways that he's described self-energy that makes the most sense to me is he calls it our internal source of love. It's our own internal source of love. And you can slate in other qualities. It's our own inter internal source of strength. It's our own internal source of compassion. It's our own internal source of confidence. It's our own internal source of wisdom and a lot of other qualities, right? Um, and, and I want to help my parts. Like this morning, kindergarten Katrina, I had her turn away from Mrs. Frodjum and not try and get Mrs. Frodjum to be nice and approving of her and maybe apologize and you know, say she was sorry and do a redo and let me do show and tell with my fishbowl without shaming me, right? Instead, I had kindergarten Katrina turn to me and see me. And what she saw was not me, not 57-year-old me. What she saw instead was my energy, my eternal self-energy, right? My soul, my spirit. That's what she saw. That's what she connected to. And that's the primary attachment other people in our lives, they are secondary attachment figures. And we all need, we all need secondary attachment figures. But here's the deal. There's one, one self for me to attach to. 
there are 7 billion options out there for other people to attach to. And if someone dies, that's tragic. Someone who I'm attached to, if they die, that is tragic. I'm, I, I, I will support a client to grieve and mourn that loss. But they have 7 billion other options to choose from, to, to not replace, but to step in and be an attachment figure, member of a support network for that person. So I, I think that's another key aspect of IFS that's really important is the notion that self-energy is the primary source of attachment. And, and what did you, and what is it you're wanting to say about spiritual abuse? Oh, yeah. So any any system, and I know a lot of your listeners come from mm, systems yeah. um, where they were taught that they have to be worthy of God's love, that they have to they have to engage in certain behaviors, follow certain rules, abide by certain standards. Um, um, adhere to certain commandments and that when they do that, then they can access God's love. And if in an IFS, we consider that to be a spiritually abusive um, mindset that any system, any person, any system, any organization that teaches us that we are not worthy of love as we are, that is spiritually abusive. Mm. Anything that interferes with my access to love, divine love. And in IFS, we believe that divine love is basically accessible within us. And anything that interferes with that is spiritually abusive. I think it's a big deal because when in these sessions, not only do I feel love for all the parts as I was sort of sensing into, they're all there. I also caused me to be loving towards others and the parts of others. In other words, they're just showing up doing the same thing my internal system's doing. Hence, when they bump into me, it's no mm -hmm. different than when my protectors bump into me or, or yeah. you know. And so when you start to understand how other people, why you're doing what you do, you can also understand why others are doing what they do. That, that It seems like a natural yeah. extension of this whole program, is this whole modality is that you begin to uh, sense that every other person is also a human being made up of lots of parts and it's messy for them too. Yeah. And I agree with that. And I will add that in my own experience, I, my protectors had kind of perfected that already. Like I gave everyone else the benefit of the doubt my entire life. Mm. And it did not allow me to recognize the abuse that I had sustained in the mm -hmm. systems I was raised in. It was shielding me from actually feeling the sadness and the mourning and the, um, because it was a way of cutting off that pain. If I could just mm -hmm. understand them and know they didn't mean it, then I didn't have to feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that that was just stuffing down my pain. I, I wasn't able to mourn it. So it's interesting how this shows up differently in different people, right? If we, if we cut off the recognition that something isn't right, then we don't always know that we need to fix it. We don't always know that we need to take steps to protect ourselves in other ways. So for me, that was maladaptive. And um, it was actually through my IFS 
therapy that I recognized that kind of spiritual abuse that had happened in the systems around me and started taking steps that have really helped me <laughs> over the last, you know, couple of years of my life. Mm. Um, the, the next section is the pros and cons of the modality. And the last part of that was the limitations or cons. And I actually want to, I want to talk about that one first. So it, it, it occurs to me that there are really serious, unhealthy human behaviors, serial killer, go to extremes. I have to imagine maybe there, maybe there's no research done at this point. Maybe we haven't taken this modality to the extremes to see what it does. But do we think that this sort of work could fix a serial killer or a child predator or because it seems as if that's really what's going on is it's the same kind of thing happening in their system. And when I hear people with these sorts of unhealthy behaviors do interviews and discuss what they talk about the internal conflict at times in their head. Do we know anything in terms of, because I, I have to imagine there are some limitations to this therapy. It doesn't seem like it's the sort of therapy to solve all, all kinds of problems, but it seems to really get at unhealthy behaviors um, or protective behaviors that aren't really protecting us anymore. Any thoughts from the three of you in terms of whether this could be something to fix really big things? Well, I, I can say that that after Dick, so eating disorders are a very intractable form of mental illness. And, and that's where IFS cut its teeth and, and saw a tremendous amount of, of progress with eating disordered clients. Um, another area where it's proven to be highly effective is with addiction. So if somebody is shooting up heroin, well, that is an, an attempt, almost always, almost to a person to escape or to mask some level of interior pain, right? If we can heal the pain, and, that, and that's the negotiation that we, that we engage in with these um, protector parts or defensive networks or maladaptive behaviors, whatever we want to label them, is would you let us at least try to bring healing to whoever you're protecting? And then you can decide if you want to keep shooting up heroin or not. Maybe you'll want to do something different for me. But when you bring healing into the system, these parts inevitably, these extreme protective parts, and some of them are very extreme, they will inevitably decide, hmm, maybe instead of shooting up heroin, I'll be responsible to make sure you, you know, engage in a really healthy lifestyle. So that's my job. I'm your health coach now. And literally they'll take the, often they'll take the opposite role of what they were initially engaged in, in a very maladaptive way. And Dick has also said that, so he went from working with eating disordered clients to working with, he sought out the most severe personality disordered clients that he could, that he could find. And he worked with them for years because he wanted to find out if it would be effective with personality, dis with, with clients who have, and I, I should qualify here, clients who have personality disordered aspects, um, parts within their personality. That makes sense. Like people with antisocial parts to their personality, people with sociopathic parts to their personality. And he sought those clients out and had great success with them as well. 
Yeah, it seems like there's a lot yet to be kind of studied out in this, but this modality might be able to tackle issues that have essentially mm -hmm. been seen as not tack not being able to be tackled. Um, yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see all that unfold. Uh, any other thoughts from Jana, Corey, on that? And then I want to ask, what are like what are the issues, or what we talked again about some of these unhealthy behaviors? What other issues are there that this therapy is good for? Um, for me, I'll just say it seems like anything based in trauma that is affecting you in the modern moment, this seems like a great modality for. Any other thoughts? There? Absolutely. I mean, I I think in big big systemic ways with some of this stuff. And I, I mean, I just see how maladapted we really have been in our society toward our justice system and toward, um, you know, people who have uh, mental illness and other issues. And um, I don't know if this is the modality to, to save everything, but it is a way of thought that lends itself toward more restorative justice rather than retributive justice. And I think that that could be so healing, not just on an individual level, but I just want to say, I feel like this way of thinking could be really healing in on a systemic level as well. If we could, because I think we don't know the number that has been done on us in our Judeo-Christian, like in intellectual traditions about how much self-loathing the idea of a fallen world um, really brings into our, our consciousness. So I, I really think there's something here, not just for individuals, but also for for systems and even for for uh, religious systems, for justice systems to revamp themselves in ways that are much more healing to us as individuals and as, as a society. Yeah, I, I've noticed um, I was doing a, a, a presentation at one time and was just kind of curious i'm in a facebook group for religious trauma therapists and was just curious what what the common modalities were that people were using specifically in this line of work and the ifs popped up most often and i just think it fits so perfectly to look at how like even if you choose to change your belief system or step away from a church there is still those parts of you that have those that that conditioning and those beliefs and so part of you can be like in a different place and part of you can be stuck back in the old beliefs and so it just fits so perfectly with this just to to get to know each of those parts to sit with them and work with them and um, I just think it fits so perfectly with with specifically what we're working with. And I remember in the book, I remember in the book, somebody said something like, how many parts are there? And I think as an outsider trying to get familiar with this modality, it seems as though you're waiting for the answer to be like, well, there's 12 parts and here's the 12 part, you know, and the reality is the glimpse I had, I think there's potential to be infinite number of parts. And that may seem strange to listeners as well, but the parts of me that do similar behaviors might even be separate from each other based in a moment in time that, that they're not, it's not just this unified piece of me that they, they all may have the same outward behavior, but it may go back to different moments because I, I noticed when I had a conversation with my parts that there were similar parts. And then when I got really specific, some of them were like, no, that's not me. You know, I'm, I'm over here. I'll stay over here. You can talk to that guy. 
any sense there? Like, I almost feel like you shouldn't even attempt to put a number on it of how many parts there are, because there's so many pieces and parts of us as a human being. I agree. I think you keep, you keep discovering things. The more, the more work you do, the more, the more you discover. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And, and one thing that we know as well is parts have parts. Mm. So right, as you start to get to know a part, like think of fractals, right? Parts within parts within parts. And so it, it really is kind of an, it seems to be an infinite kind of mm. process of self-discovery yeah. for those people who really dive into it. Yeah. Um, you know, the who can benefit, I think, I think simply put, everyone could benefit. Um, is there any, is there any issues that this would not be the best therapy for? Is there, is there anything specific you guys can think of where you're like, no, I wouldn't use IFS for that. I would use, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, when I saw that question in the outline, who can benefit, what came into my mind is who can't benefit. And, and what I would say is that perhaps um, it's not the standalone treatment for certain things. Like it's very, it's known to be very effective for medical conditions. Um, IFS first became an evidence-based approach to therapy um, based on some research done out of the Boston area with a group of Catholic women who um, all had rheumatoid arthritis. And coincidentally, they all had 10 to 12 children. And um, and so the work that they did, I, I forget the number, I think they did like six IFS sessions and then they looked at, you know, before and after outcomes in terms of pain levels, et cetera. But to a person, the message that they were getting from as they tuned into their arthritis, listened to it. What are you trying to tell me? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to know about yourself? Why are you here? How are you beneficial to me? All those kind of questions. To a person, the message that they got was this was the only way we could get you to slow down and listen to your body or listen to your body and slow down. Right. And there's there's a gentleman whose name is Frank Anderson. He's a psychiatrist and he's a kind of top level in the IFS leadership team. He's um he's he's a in partnership or close partnership and um, collaboration with Richard Schwartz, Richard Schwartz. And, um, and the way Frank uses IFS in his medical practice is he'll, he's got his little notepad, he's a doctor, his prescription pad, not his notepad, his prescription pad. And he will ask, have the client ask their system if the system is open to medication, if the system feels like it needs medication, if there are any parts within the system that are opposed to medication and he will work if there are parts that say no medication is for 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 weaklings he will work with parts like that until he gets the buy-in from them before he prescribes medication because because it's it, the, the it will just reject the medication that's introduced into the system if all parts are not on board that's frank anderson's belief mm. so mm. Yeah, I've seen how like Bessel van der Kolk, you know, his groundbreaking uh, book of Body Keeps the Score and how trauma really resides in us. You know, these are neuroscientists and looking at the neurobiology of all of this. And um, one of the quotes that I loved from that book, it actually wasn't one of van der Kolk. He was quoting somebody else whose name escapes me, but talking about how um, 
a new sense of care for the self takes over when we can start to look at um, when we can start to, to do things from an inner place coming up from that self energy rather than a, a to-do list, right? And I'm one that has always struggled with my to-do list. And I there is no lack of part in me who, <laughs> no, parts in me that will come after me for not doing my to-do list, right? And I've come from this place of just like hating myself through trying to get myself to do things that are good for me. And um, I noticed that I had a moment while I was doing IFS where I was actually on a meditation retreat when I was just really sitting with my parts and especially those protective parts that I had been working with. And I just heard them say to me, well, we love you. We're all in this together. You just need to actually start doing the things and we'd have, we wouldn't have to do protection. You know how to do it. We'll trust you the minute you show us you're trustworthy. And that just bowled me over. I had never even thought of it in those terms. But I I have made more strides toward helping that perfectionist part of myself that hates the to-do lists. And um, the quote in the book talks about how that start that that sense of self-love then generates an ability to do these things out of self-love. It, that just it's a it's a it's a circle that just keeps giving. And we do things out of that rather than self, and uh, rather than the shoulds, and how much healthier and more sustainable that is. And I'm just, I'm just here to say that I, I, I have felt that there's, there's something that really, really beautiful and sustaining that comes from this kind of work when we can really connect to that self energy. And and you said, Bill, um, um. You know, it, it seems to you that anything that's trauma related, this would be helpful for. Well, I, I'm a trauma therapist and maybe I have a hammer, so everything's a nail. But to me, everything has its roots in trauma. Mm-hmm. All maladaptive behavior has mm-hmm. its roots in trauma. Maladaptive behavior. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, sorry. For both of you, for Corey and Katrina, um, do you notice if, as you try to, wade into these waters of IFS, are there people who struggle to like connect with the modality? Are there people who, you know, is, are there ways to work with that? Are there certain people that, that struggle with this? I personally do see some that just have a hard time grasping the concept. And when that happens, I try to just dial it back and, and, and it can feel a little bit confusing if you if you get lost in the terminology so i try to really dial it back and but i think maybe there are some that just it just doesn't quite click for i would say the vast majority it either clicks for or it is just like all the lights got turned on and it's like the most profound eye-opening thing they have come across i've had people who I'll I'll be meeting with them for six or seven months, and and they'll come back after reading or listening to the back to the book No Bad Parts, and like who who exactly are you? You are not the same person who was here a week ago. It it completely transforms 
them, the way they see the world, the way they interact with other people. It's, it's just, I feel like it's a gift to be able to see that transformation, Mm. like to be a witness to that. It's, it's incredible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say like completely agreeing with what you're saying, Corey, and adding on to that, that what we're talking about here is what's called insight. Insight is close your eyes, go inside, listen to your parts. And they, they communicate through the client to the client and then the client will tell the therapist anything that that they want to know like that's insight that's the interior work there's another approach um, that's called direct access and with direct access that's exactly for the kind of client you're describing jenna the client that thinks this is weird what are you talking about um um what do you mean listen inside i don't feel anything i don't sense anything I, i have some clients who are like kind of walking heads you know just dead from the body down from the get, excuse me, dead from the neck down, no feeling, no sensation. And, um, and those kind of clients don't have a lot of, um, a lot of, of self-awareness or a lot of, a lot of somatic awareness, a lot of connection to the body or to emotion. And so with them, it's, it's a longer, slower process and it's a gentle tapping in, touching in, listening in and then coming out and and in ifs we believe that anytime we're talking about parts anytime we anytime i as a therapist have the frame of reference that that i'm working with parts and that's a part of you that's talking right now like that's that's um that's your that's your angry part that's talking right now you know that's your blaming part that's talking right now and anytime i just keep that in my awareness that i'm not then talking to a part of the person not to the, not to the person i'm doing ifs work and i'm and i'm as i'm bringing that awareness to them and helping them to slow down and so so just where do you feel like like a way to kind of touch a toe in is so even we're talking to this you know the side of you that's so angry about the way you were mistreated at you know, school last week or at work last week, just take a minute and just, can you just notice where you feel anything in your body relative to that? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's right here in my stomach. Oh yeah. 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 Can you just stay with that for just, just stay with it for just a few seconds, you know, just kind of get, get familiar with that feeling. And, and that's kind of a way of touching a toe in and then coming out and doing what looks like on the surface, more traditional talk therapy, but we're thinking parts. Mm. So I know that uh, Corey needs to step away just a couple minutes before three. So why don't we jump into doing a quick sort of demo session and mm-hmm. let's try to go for maybe about 15 minutes mm-hmm. and, uh, and then Corey, I'll give you a chance to kind of share any kind of concluding remarks about it. And then I'll let you step away and then give you the other two of you a chance to kind of share some concluding remarks and then we'll kind of close out this episode. But Katrina, I'll turn the time over to you. I volunteered to be uh, part of a demo session. I'm I'm really nervous about it, but I've also been putting a lot of thought into this, and so uh, we'll see how this goes. But um, yeah, anyway, yeah. So I just have to say, first of all, I just so appreciate your vulnerability, Bill, and your willingness to the way you've already shown up today in such a vulnerable authentic, open-hearted way, and then your willingness to do this. So I appreciate that a lot. You're welcome. Um, do we want to keep everybody on the screen or do we want people to 
go off screen if what they're would, not. I mean, what, what, do you, what, yeah, what do you think makes more sense? Um, your eyes are probably going to be closed, so it probably won't bother you too much to have mm -hmm. other people there. So as long as you're not, as long as you're not distracted in any way, I then... won't be distracted by the two of them. I love them both to death anyway. Okay. So, okay, good, good, good. All right. And, and, and actually when they do trainings with in-person trainings and even online trainings, like the self energy of the participants really adds to the process and, and trainers who do the demos um, um, by a demo, like what we're doing today, right? Who do a, a session with a volunteer to demonstrate it for those of us who are who are attending the training. Um, they say that because of the self-energy that's present from the other participants who are observing, the the work moves faster. The, the, the person who's in the role of the client feels that energy even more. So, so mm. yeah, okay. Cool. All right. Well, Bill, um, um, what do you want us to get curious about today? What? So the, there's a part of me, right? So there's a part of me that um, when, especially with my wife and my kids, where whenever they uh, are about to reveal something of me that I don't want revealed, maybe mm -hmm. they're going to tell a piece of my story or they're going to, um, tell more of a story than I feel comfortable being shared. I, there's a part of me that, that will interrupt them and stop them and is doing all that it can to make, um, the telling of my story end. like, let's bail on this. I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel embarrassment. And, uh, I was sitting this morning and, and thinking about that part and why it doesn't. And it came up because you shared your story about uh, kindergarten. And so I just allowed my mind to kind of follow that. Where does that go? And, uh, and, I, and I actually started off with the event first, obviously, because your, your memory jogged mine. And then it, it connected to these behaviors of mine that I think are really unhealthy. Like I, I am often, this part of me is often shutting my wife down specifically and shutting my kids down to a lesser extent. And as I, as I thought about the event that happened, it was, I was in uh, first grade just a year after, but I, my birthday's in September. So, you know, I, I started like kindergarten and first grade at like four years old instead of five or whatever, you know, it was a year younger than everyone else. I went to my senior year, 16 years old. And, uh, First grade teacher, Mrs. Arndt, you can't forget those names, can you? Um, I was just in the restroom and there was another kid in there. And uh, the, the little boy that I was, was just talking to the kid next to me. And Mrs. Arndt came into the restroom and like grabbed me. It pulled me out of the room, pulled me in front of like all the kids. I don't remember if I had like the chance to pull my pants up or I don't, I don't remember. I just know I was embarrassed and uh, I was wrecked. I went home and like talked to my mom and dad about her making an example of me in front of the whole class. And I told my parents and they were bothered by it. They got on the phone, called the school system, set up a time to talk to her. And I'm in the room as they're having the conversation on the phone with her. You know, this is long before a cell phone. So this is landlines. I don't, I don't hear her side, but I can tell that my parents are like, mm, that's not what my kid told me. 
And when they got off the phone, I'm like, okay, well, what happened? What happened? And she had bullshitted her way through it. She had said things that weren't true about what had happened to make it less than what it was. And it, it wasn't less. It was, hmm. it was something serious. Right. And, and so I recognized like in these moments, that part of me said, I'll be damned if I let this little kid get ashamed or embarrassed again. And so all through my life, if there's a moment where I'm about to get uh, exposed and not like exposed, like, oh, you did something really wrong, you know, but like, I don't want uh, to be seen as silly or you said weak or. So there's a part of me that protects that, that yeah. doesn't want to deal with, doesn't want to yeah. let anybody poke at that little kid. Yeah. And it, you referred to that part as the interrupter. You called him the interrupter. Yeah. He steps in and he interrupts your kids and your wife if they're about ever about to do anything that you perceive might be, that might reveal something that's embarrassing, yeah. right? And you've already done um, some of the initial work, Bill, sitting with that interrupter today and finding out who that interrupter is protecting and that interrupter is protecting this little, the little first grader who, Arnie or Arnick, Mrs. Arnie. Arnett. A-R-N-D-T. Oh, Arnett. Okay, Arnett. gotcha. Yeah. Mrs. Arnett. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess my question is, um, of the interrupter, I wonder if he's going to be okay if in this setting today, if he's going to be okay if we go to first grade Bill, who's younger than all the other kids already. Yeah. Yeah. The that part realizes that there really isn't anything embarrassing in that story. It's just a little kid who mm -hmm. had no say in that happening. Yeah. And so that yeah. part, knowing what we're doing today, like that part's more than happy to sit off to the side. Um because right. I think it's a great opportunity, and he does too. It's a great opportunity to to demonstrate this modality. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, can you, can you thank him for that? And, and maybe thank him. I would say for two things, one for what he's been doing all these years to interrupt, to make sure that nothing happens that's further embarrassing to, to that little guy or to any other part of you. And then thank him as well for being willing to step to the side so we can spend some time with the five-year-old. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, um, it doesn't feel right to do that out loud, but inside my head, I am expressing gratitude yeah. to that part and, yes. al and allow, cause I've always said this story. Like when I've ever told like things about my life, I've told this story, mm -hmm. but never really connected dots on it until this morning when you shared that and, and started to really think about it. And, and so I'm expressing gratitude to that part and, uh, that part's going to step off to the side. Great. And what you did right there. You just honored your system, like knowing how your system communicates, knowing what your system wants and needs. You just, you just did that. So, yeah, so feel free in any time you work, like in this work or, or with your therapist, um, just know you don't have to say anything out loud that you don't ever want to. 
Yeah. Okay. It doesn't ever feel safe or comfortable. Okay. So does that feel complete, that gratitude? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So turn your attention now, Bill, to the first grader. And just when you feel a connection to him, let me know. Yeah. Okay. And and I'm curious, how's he showing up right now? Do you see him? Do you sense him? Do you feel him in your body? Combination um, of all that? Yeah, it, I certainly feel the innocence of that little kid. And I, I can sort of see him. It's not... Um, it's not like this detailed thing where I see five-year-old me, but I can see a little boy and I know it's, mm-hmm. I know it's that version of me from long ago who, who really was innocent in that moment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and do you feel anything in your body relative to him? You said you feel the innocence, I guess, I guess a, a, maybe a better question is where do you feel that? Um, Stomach, um, lower chest, but stomach mostly. Okay. Okay, all right. And and as you hold your awareness of him in your mind, how are you feeling towards him right now? Um, this may be hard to put into words. Um, the, the words I want to say are sorry for what he had to go through, but that's not the right language. It is... Mm-hmm. It is... Uh, Sitting with an awareness that I'm communicating to him that he didn't deserve that. And that no little kid deserves to have these kinds of things happen. And it seems like it's really a small thing in the scale of things, but to that kid, it wasn't a small thing. And um, so I'm just trying to communicate sort of understanding to him. Like, I get it. Like that shouldn't have happened. That wasn't right. It wasn't okay. Um, some sort of compassion or empathy for mm-hmm. having to had experienced something that in that moment, he didn't even see coming. He wasn't expecting it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and as you share all that with that, with him, he didn't deserve it. All that compassion. Mm-hmm all the other things you said, how's he responding to that? He's grateful that somebody noticed it. Mm. His parents weren't allowed to, his parents weren't exactly capable of fixing it because the moment the teacher did something in terms of being dishonest about what happened, their avenues of, getting some reconciliation for him were gone. Yeah. And so there's a lot of years of just kind of staying back. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a ripple effect throughout your life that that's connected right back to that, to that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Check with him and, and, and see if there's any more that he wants you to know about this. see again language sometimes is tough um he there's a degree of sharing like he's always wanted to 
um, there is a little kid in me and, mm-hmm. and he's sharing, like, I've always wanted to sort of express myself and be silly and be, mm-hmm. be innocent. Mm-hmm. He's always wanted to have an active part in uh, my personality. but doesn't feel like he's been able to do that because of that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see if, if he feels like, like he's been able to like, like, has he been able to express everything to you about that event or anything, you know, anything else related to that event that he wants you to know, we really want to give him an opportunity to really be understood. Yeah. Um, that part is sharing that there are other moments, but that that this moment, um, mm-hmm. this moment stands as a solid representation of what happened, and it doesn't, at least for this exercise, it doesn't need to go into all of that, right? And mm-hmm. uh, that this event is sort of symbolic of of moments where your innocence its innocence gets squashed yeah okay okay yeah and and that feels like he doesn't he i, I heard you say doesn't necessarily want to share with you the other events but well, yeah it, it it may be more of like um if i sat long enough with that part we could go mm-hmm. through my life and pick out other moments yeah. But that this isn't the place for that. Would would he like you to do that? Maybe set an intention to do that with him in the yeah. future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead and, and let him know that if you haven't already. That you'll come back. Yeah, that we'll spend time on that. Okay. And maybe even maybe even tell him if he wants my support with that, I am more than happy to make myself available to 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 kind of offer him fully what he needs just because we are constrained by time today yeah does does he understand that can you yeah, kind of explain he, he wants, what's happening yeah. here yeah he wants to be seen and he know um he knows that request will be taken seriously okay okay all right sounds good yeah yeah well let him know that there's more that we can do to support him but we we um, made a commitment to honor some time, some time frames of people today. So is he all right if we were to um, kind of conclude in the next minute or two? Yeah. Okay. Before we do, I, w- I want you to ask him, um, I want you to, to bring him into your life today. And just kind of let him know you and whatever you want him to know about you. Whatever might be helpful. Yeah. Again, I don't know how to put words to that, but sharing with yeah. him sort of 
the essence of of who I am and how far we've come. Yeah. 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 How's he responding to that? Um, there's a sense of knowing that we did the best we could. Like that's, we, we coped, we figured out how to deal. And, and part of this ties to another session just a few weeks ago where um, connected to this part is I, I felt things as a kid, maybe more significantly than other people felt things. And I don't have some major trauma in my life, but the things that did happen were felt by me as being big. Yeah. And hence, there's a lot of times I'm very sentimental, but also if you were to live with me, you'd know that I, I often hide behind a wall and I am not emotionally available in lots of places in my life. Mm-hmm. And And so connecting with that experience from a few weeks ago and this one today there is a sense of how all of this kind of connects together and that there's work to do in terms of the parts of me that keep emotion completely out and parts Mm -hmm. of me, they're trying to signal that maybe it's safe to start to feel more and not Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. in the moments where it feels safe. Yeah. 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 Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So that part that keeps emotion completely out. At times, yeah. Maybe somebody, yeah, maybe that's somebody that might might want to, we might want to keep in mind after we've completed work with this little guy to maybe mm. show him the transformation in him, if that makes sense. Yeah, maybe to note with your therapist or again, I'm happy to be available, so... So check with that little guy, little the first grader, knowing that you're going to come back. You've set an intention. Is he okay if we transition back today, back right oh. now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um. Yeah. Again, I'm just noticing it's three o'clock. I want to get Corey not yeah. out of his. Do you have any yeah. words in maybe a minute or less so I can get you on your way? What are your <laughs> your thoughts uh, about today's conversation? Or That was beautiful to watch and just such a great representation of what is possible with this stuff. And, and just introducing the concept from the, from the onset almost sounds a little crazy. Like I'm going to be having a dialogue with different parts of me almost like they're separate people inside of me what but this is what it looks like and there is just so much healing potential um by doing this work so i i just loved watching watching that happen so thank you thank you Corey. um i'll let you get to your appointment because you're already a minute late, so I'll let you sneak off. I'll then I want to give Jana and, and Katrina a chance to kind of talk about what any of the last thoughts, and then we'll kind of close out. So thank Perfect. you, Corey. Thanks so much, guys. Have an excellent Thanks, day. Corey. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Any thoughts from you guys on the conversation today or 
anything else you'd want to impart to the 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 viewers of the audience as we kind of wrap up um well for me i just want to thank you bill for your vulnerability and katrina for both of you going through that you know there's nothing quite like there's one thing to talk around a subject there's one thing to kind of explain what it is and it's another thing to witness it and um i just think that was a really beautiful example of what we're talking about and and i'm i'm just really hopeful that people can get a really good sense from this conversation today of what it is we're talking about and what the possibilities are with ifs so i'm i i don't have really anything to add other than just um gratitude for the conversation and um for the way both of you showed up Mm. that's really beautiful thank you yeah yeah, likewise, Bill, thank you. I mean, for just like that that part that keeps emotion completely out. Mm. Right? Like clearly that part in you is starting to trust you because he doesn't keep emotion completely out. He lets mm-hmm. you access emotion and be really vulnerable in public places. You know, this is a public space. There's four of us on this screen, but we all know that there's more than that watching yeah. in. So it's beautiful. Yeah. And if I can, if I can name just a couple of things I saw that I think I would, I'm going to take with me. And I would imagine other people may have noticed this in just this demonstration. First of all, on, on Bill, on your part, um, I, I mean, there's just a real authenticity of like, this is what's going on. This is where it's working. This is where it's not. This is where I can put words to it. This is where it's not. That was, that was really instructive. And Katrina, on your part, I was just struck by the compassionate way that you cared for those parts. And I think that's really instructive of just how, if, if people here just start thinking about this with themselves, it's, it's so instructive to have somebody who can hold such beautiful compassion and care mm-hmm. as we witness those parts. So that was really instructive to me as well. As we do this, it's not another way to start carrying into things and what we should have done or you know it's it's this real care and understanding for how how we've all managed and shown up so yeah yeah that's really helpful thank you um what i would say is maybe a couple of things one um you know, one of the, we were talking kind of, maybe we didn't really get into the pros of the model, but to me, one of the real pros of this model of therapy is that the goal is to be able to do your own daily practice of parts work. And, and that's my goal. I don't hit that goal every day. Um, but I do a regular practice of IFS work and, and just so grateful that that um, that, that we can do this work in a solo fashion. And that's Bill, what the intention that you set with this part, you're going to follow up with the kind with the, with the first grader, you're going to follow up with him. Well, that's your own, like, like practice mm-hmm. of IFS work. And to me, this is the most spiritual practice I've ever discovered. I mean, I've, I've was pretty, um, orthodox and and perfectionistic in my approach to how I how I did my religion when I was a practicing member and um this is 
profoundly, profoundly spiritual relative to anything else I've experienced. And, and so, so I wanted to say that. And then the other piece, the daily practice and, um, oh, the self energy, when you do your daily practice, the one question you want to be asking yourself and maybe keep this in mind, Bill is how do I feel towards the five-year-old as your as you're, you're providing the love, the nurturing, the compassion, the interaction, you want to make sure that not just as a concept in your head, but as an actual energy, energetic presence in your kind of heart head space, you want to make sure that at least there's open heartedness, right? At least I'm open hearted enough. I want to be curious, but, but moving even towards actual compassion towards this part in me, because that's where the healing occurs. Um, so yeah. And then I, there's a quote I just thought of as we were sitting here and I wrote down, so I would remember to, to say it. And I think as a conclusion, I think it for me, for my, my um, thoughts, it would be lovely. I sought joy. I found me. I sought me. I found joy. And to me, that's what this work is about is finding self parts of self, self-energy, so. And I'll only say, and then we can close close this out, but having done a little bit of this work in the last month and a half or so, um, to the audience, there really is a whole part of you that isn't traumatized and isn't bothered by this, that can sit back as an observer and sit with all those parts and all the things that happened to those parts and be, be grounded in a way that you can make different decisions going forward that will have your life showing up completely different. And I'll say, I'll say it this way that in the last two weeks or so, my wife and I have had multiple conversations where this modality has allowed us to talk to each other about how our parts are bumping into each other rather than us bumping into each other. And that's new. That's not something we've done. And um, there is something really helpful about separating the pieces of you that have motivations or reasons or traumas or mechanisms from the piece of you that is just absolutely flawless and whole um, and untarnished and un uh, not bumped into at all. Um, and accessing that, as you guys are pointing out today, accessing that is, um, it's a tool that I don't think most people have in their tool bag. Yeah, that, that's a game changer. As someone, I do a lot of couples work in my coaching work. And that is a game changer because those protectors show up so quickly to defend. And it is really so key to couples work to be able to hold the dignity of self and the other as we're working through our issues. And it can be really, really hard to access. Yeah. So that, that is a game changer. And Bill, I'm so glad you circled back around. You started talking about you and your wife and the work you've done, how it's helping in your relationship. And I'm so glad you circled back to it because um, it reminded me that um, there's a book 
that that Dick wrote for couples. It's called You're the One You've Been Waiting For. And it's all about how to in in a partnership, in a in a marriage, in a in a relationship, how we trigger each other. He calls them our our basement children in that book. And he calls our partners our tormentors. They mentor us through tormenting us by showing us the parts of ourself that that still need to be unburdened and that still need to be healed. And it's a beautiful book. It steps you how to, it, it does a great job of stepping you through how to work with a partner to do IFS work. So it's called You're the One You've Been Waiting For. I will, uh, I'll add that to the show notes so that folks can find that as well. Um, again, where can folks find you, Katrina? I'll just say for Corey, since he's left, he's here in Southern Utah. Uh, he generally does like faith crisis help for folks, people who are in uh, mixed faith marriage or uh, stepping away from a high demand fundamentalist religion and having religious trauma. And, and he's working with that, but he is implementing IFS into that therapy. And then uh, folks, how can they find you and your work? Yeah, so um, I'm located in North Salt Lake, but I but I have a virtual practice. I see probably, you know, 60% of my clients online and then the other portion I see in person. Um, I can just be located psychology today, Katrina Akia, A-P-P-I-A-H. I specialize in IFS um, and my caseload is largely made up of clients who are in faith transition. I also do a lot of general trauma kind of stuff, um, childhood abuse, developmental trauma, which is like, you know, that chronic low-grade trauma throughout a childhood. Mm. Um, I do a lot of work with abuse, attachment, injury, attachment, woundedness, um, a lot of sexual abuse mm. kinds of things. So kind of like I say, you know, to me, trauma is a great big umbrella and everything falls under the trauma umbrella. But totally. but probably one of my my biggest passions is faith transition work. Love it. Love it. Well, at least in the area, the two biggest areas where folks are exiting, you know, the Latter-day Saint church and dealing with religious trauma. And uh, there's, there's folks like you out there to, to handle this. So I appreciate that. Um, I'll, I'll leave those links for where people can find you in the show notes as well. And uh, any last words from you, Jana, otherwise uh, we'll call it a day. Awesome. That's it. Okay, folks, thank you. Check out almostawaken.org. You can see all the past episodes there. Uh, Please leave your comments uh, in the video so that uh, we can kind of see what you thought about the episode. And uh, check out the show notes where you can find uh, resources to either find an IFS therapist like Katrina or to uh, find more information on IFS generally. So thanks, everybody. And and you can go to the IFS Institute. If you're looking for an IFS therapist, you can go to the IFS Institute. So that's a way to find the therapist directory as well. Sweet. Thanks, everyone, and have a great day. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsense spirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director Brittany Hartman.